Hey everybody, Michael Hyatt here. Today we've got a bonus episode of Lead to Win that I know you're gonna love. It's all about communication breakdowns you face at work and how to avoid them. By the way, that's the subject of my new book, No Fail Communication. Megan and I did a Facebook Live conversation about it last week and the response, phenomenal. And I wanted to make sure everyone has a chance to benefit from these practical tips for solving one of the biggest challenges in any workplace, communication. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, I'm going to take a question here. Timothy Flick has a question. And he says, what do you do when others have a sense of urgency? You own it and get it done, but the urgent party does not communicate back in a timely manner. Mm. When they finally get back to you with changes or updates, everyone is stressed to achieve the goal. What do you do? Well, that's, you know, fortunately never happened to us. Just kidding. (laughs) Yeah. So, Megan, what, what would you say in that kind of situation? Well, if you find that that is a repetitive problem, maybe that's your boss or another coworker that you have, I think you could kind of head it off at the pass and you could schedule a follow-up meeting. You know, let's say you provide your version one of whatever, you know, you've been asked to provide that's deliverable and go ahead and schedule a meeting, you know, either that day or the next day if they need a little time to process and just create space on the calendar. You know, dad, you always say what gets scheduled gets done. And if you know that this is going to be an issue, just get it on the calendar that you need a follow-up meeting where you can ask a series of questions and get their response. Of course, ideally they would be proactive and do that. Sometimes, you know, for whatever reason, you're just not going to be able to make that happen, but you can take responsibility for getting what you need by getting that on the calendar. That's really good. Okay. One other question came in from Michael Kelly. He said, I'm in the Navy and have been hearing stories from those who have retired or separated. Do you have anything to say about the welcome to the civilian life troubles communicating without acronyms? Yeah, well, I will say this. Every culture has its own language. Every culture has its own nuances. Every culture has its own shorthand. But if you're going to be a good communicator, you've got to be empathetic enough to hear the message that's coming out of your lips through the ears of the people that you're trying to communicate. And that's why we try to stubbornly avoid acronyms at Michael Hyde and Company. We're sometimes better than at other times. But uh, yeah, acronyms can obscure meaning when essentially you're trying to do shorthand. So it kind of goes back to that kind of communication that's not clear. It may be expressed, but it's not clear. So if you use an acronym, just know that if not everybody's read in on the meaning of that acronym, you're going to be leaving some people out and they're going to be confused or left to fend for themselves. Not a good situation. It's a really good point. This question came in from Kathia. She said, what do you recommend to do when people are afraid to communicate due to mean management? So Megan, you've had to deal with that with me. So because I'm <laughs> mean from time to time. So, so often. <laughs> how do you how do you overcome mean management? What would you do if you found yourself in a culture like that where the yeah. boss is just mean? Well, I mean, first of all, I think it's important to have good and healthy boundaries around communication. And if you're in a situation where you're regularly being abused, uh, you know, that would cause me to have a different conversation in my own head that wouldn't be about communication. It would cause me to have a conversation about maybe I need a different kind of job, you know, and a different kind of culture. However, sometimes what you have are bosses who are just not self-aware, you know, and honestly, that's one of the plagues of leadership. I mean, it really can be a problem, you know, where leaders are just kind of insulated from the truth and they don't understand how they come across. They're 
unintentionally or just unconsciously harsh, you know, or, or curt or something like that. I will say that, you know, so, so what I'm about to say is not really a resolution for a mean boss. I don't know that I can help you solve that problem, but if you are having an issue with getting your boss to kind of give you attention to having that person really, you know, be engaged with what you're saying, I do think you have to learn how your boss communicates. You know, you and I, dad, both really value being communicated with Mm -hmm. in summary form. So we don't like to have to go through someone's whole explanation and all the detail before we get to the conclusion. We True. want you to start with a conclusion and then give us some some kind of like background detail to help us know why you made that decision. Otherwise, it's very hard for us to keep our attention. That's just kind of how we're wired. That's really like a personality thing. It's not good or bad. Some people are the exact opposite. But it is helpful if you want your boss to not be irritated with you. It's important that you learn to communicate in the way that he or she likes to be communicated with. And it's possible that what you're experiencing is irritation where someone is just irritated because maybe you're too long winded or maybe you're not uh, clear enough in your communication and they just don't have time for that. So, you know, outside of the, the bounds of someone being legitimately abusive, learning someone's communication preferences, you could even initiate that conversation. This would be a great way to communicate and ask your boss, you know, I've noticed that it feels like sometimes our communication is is maybe not as good as it could be. And I feel like I'm not able to serve you at the level that I'd like to. How do you like to be communicated with? What are three things I can do to communicate with you in a way that really would serve you and help you to do what you need to do more efficiently? And hopefully you'd get a great response to that and some insight, again, that you can really act on um, and improve your ability to communicate and actually help them communicate too. That's good. I just thought of a of an example where back when I was in the corporate world and our company had been bought by private equity. And there was a point at which as we started to approach the Great Recession, we started started to see our, our sales sag. And so I remember giving a report to the board of directors, including, you know, the private equity guys that 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 basically were supervising us. And I copied all my executive team, which was my custom. And I basically gave them a summary of the operating results for the previous month. And we had missed our sales target and we had missed our profit target. So it wasn't good news, right? But it wasn't horrible, but it was, you know, we missed, we missed the numbers. So uh, I reported on that. And so the lead from the private equity company did one of those reply all things when he thought <laughs> no. that he was probably just replying to me. And he basically said, what the heck is going on? And he basically ringed me out, chewed me out, but he did it copying everybody. Oh. Well, I was furious. And right. Megan, you know me well enough to know that I do not like to be embarrassed that I particularly right. don't like to be embarrassed in front of a whole bunch of people. Yeah, who does? And particularly my direct reports. Right. So man, I let that kind of simmer for a day. I went home and man, I thought, I, I just can't let that go. You know, because the truth is, and this is true in communication, you kind of get what you tolerate, yeah. right? Yeah. And so this is kind of back to Kathy's question yep. about, you know, a mean boss. So I said, I got for my own sense of self-respect, even if I get fired, I don't think I'm going to get fired, but even, even if I do, I've got to have this conversation for myself. Mm-hmm. And so I called him up, the, up on the phone and I, you know, a little chit chat. I said, hey, you know that message yesterday that you fired back to me after we reported the operating results? And he said, yeah. I said, were you aware that you replied to everybody? And he said, I did. And I said, yeah, you replied to everybody. I said, you kind of cut my legs out from under me with my own team. You didn't, it didn't communicate that you support me. It certainly communicated no empathy. I mean, I try to make clear in the memo that I wasn't happy with the results either. I don't need to be horse whipped, you know, in front of an audience 
you know, to, to, to get the point. I got the point. Okay. And I said, and then I said to him, and this was really hard. I mean, I was kind of trembling as I said this, I said, that will never happen again. Mm. And I said, I, I, I simply will not tolerate it. And boy, he got, he got super apologetic, you know, and I don't think it was because he was afraid I was going to walk. I think he honestly just did it with a lack of self-awareness. Yeah. And, and probably he's never been called on it before. Right. And so I called him on it. Boy, that changed our relationship from that point forward. Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes when you got a mean boss, sometimes you just have to have that, you know, adult conversation and, and get straight to the point. Okay. So Joe said this, says there is obviously a major overlap between two of your most recent topics, communication and vision. What are some of the ways you recommend communicating vision and how do you ensure that the communication is heard and is effective? I do talk about communicating the vision in the vision driven leader, but only as it pertains to basically selling downline to, you know, upline and out from the organization. This book is about more sort of your rank and file everyday communication inside of your company or inside of your ministry or whatever organization you're in. So this is much, much broader than just vision. This is basically everything I know and everything I've learned over a 40 year career about communication, having done it a bunch when I'm, when I'm wrong. Also, so, the, the other thing I would say about that is that the vision driven leader is, uh, at the vision level, right? It's very big picture. That's right. Um, it's, it's very specific for a certain audience of leaders. This book is very tactical. I mean, this is like, here's what you need to go do to solve this problem. Like it's very kind of on the ground, hand to hand combat. You know, you can apply it today. Um, it's not big picture. It's really just like how to help you solve real world frustrating problems that you keep getting stuck in. So I, I would say like, this is more of a handbook. That's right. And it's really practical. Yeah. You know, I think really one of the things that marks all my books is super practical, almost like a recipe, put these ingredients in and you'll get the cake. You know, if you want this result, then here's what you've got to do. So Kim said, how do you communicate win-win with other departments that are more win-lose? It can seem like they are only team players when it's convenient for them. And I'm trying to be the bigger person and not spiteful. Thank you. Megan, you want to take that? Yeah, that's hard. You know, I think that it, it's a couple things. First of all, I think you need to, when you're communicating, communicate with their interests in mind. So just like we were talking about a few minutes ago, you know, the part of, part of what you need to help them do is win. And over time, hopefully, with enough helping them win, uh, they want to help you win too. You know, so if they can really trust you and see your investment in them, that is truly just like you're out for their best interest is great. Um, I think, you know, the other thing is just being honest about what you need, about what they need, being willing to have adult conversations sometimes can be really, really helpful. You know, that can be, that can feel really brave, you know, if you feel like someone is sabotaging you or something like that. Um, but honestly, sometimes it's just this whole kind of passive aggressive thing going on in the background. And if you can just sit down and have a real conversation about it, a hard conversation, you'll be surprised what comes out of it. Sometimes what's happening is that um, we're, we're creating kind of limiting beliefs or what my coach calls files about other people. These mm -hmm. kind of beliefs that originate out of a, a situation. Maybe you ask somebody to do something and they didn't get it to you on time and you just developed a belief about them that they don't really care about delivering on time. They're only out for themselves. Yeah. Well, maybe in reality, 
they had some other emergency that was way more important than what you needed. Maybe it was a personal emergency they didn't feel comfortable telling you, but you developed this whole story. And then what happens is they're doing that on the other side. And then your two stories or your two sets of files are just pinging off of each other. And you're not even relating based on what's actually happening in the present. You're re- you're relating based on these past oh, man. beliefs. And man, we have all been there. Ugh. It happens I mean, in families. It sadly. happens in families. It just, it happens in all kinds of ways. And it really is a problem in the workplace. So I think partly suspending your own disbelief and, and even challenging those files kind of in your own mind and asking, you know, what else could be true mm. besides what you believe? Because sometimes it might not be that they're actually out for their own gain. You just think they are based on some behaviors that you're kind of stringing together and making meaning of. That's good. What if your company or your superior is not supporting digital communication channels during the pandemic? As we run shifts, we develop two different operating teams and we have no opportunity to exchange. We are failing. Well, I think, you know, when you're trying to sell anybody anything, and in this case, you're trying to sell your boss on something that you see clearly, you've got to sell it from their perspective. So this is the key. Got a whole chapter in the book on this. How do you sell your boss on anything? You got to show how your proposal is going to help your boss get more of what they want. Now, here's the thing I promise you, your boss wants more of. They want more execution, mm-hmm. right? They want more execution, more accomplishment of goals, more predictable outcomes and all that. They want execution. But here's the problem. Execution depends upon alignment and alignment depends upon communication. So it's got to start with communication. So what I would do is put together a formal proposal using the recommendation briefing form, which is in that key template uh, package that comes as part of the bonus. I would use the recommendation briefing form and I would make a proposal to your boss about how what you're proposing with regard to digital communication will help him or her get more of what they want. Okay. I was going to say the same thing. I think anytime you can go with a proposal, you know, part of what they, they may be resistant to is that they feel overwhelmed by how to solve that problem. You know, they, maybe they even agree like, yeah, that's not working very well, but maybe they don't consider themselves to be very tech savvy or they don't really understand the world of digital communication. And maybe they're a little embarrassed about it. But if you took responsibility for that, offered to source a solution, offered to oversee the implementation, or at least, you know, help to resource them in some way, they might be totally game for it. It's just that they're either overwhelmed or kind of afraid of it. Josh said, aside from preparing the content, which you address in some of your bonus material, how do you prepare your body and mind for hard conversations so that your anxiety, frustration, Mm. et cetera, are contained and you can communicate clearly? We talk about that, about hard conversations in the book. Megan, you want to take that? Yeah, well, I've had a lot of hard conversations. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like, you know, that's a big part of what I do. And really, often they're in the context of coaching a direct report or somebody coming to me with an issue that they need to talk to me about. You know, so I've been on both sides of the hard conversations. First of all, I want to just say that if you feel anxious, that is so normal. I feel anxious all the time about all kinds of stuff. I mean, I just think it's part of being human. In fact, I was talking to my coach today about it and she was just saying, you know, the truth is all humans feel anxious about situations where there's uncertainty. It's just that people deal with them differently. Some people, um, you know, you can see it visibly. Uh, it's, it's outwardly visible in other people. They're really good at hiding it, but it doesn't change that everybody feels anxious about it when the stakes are high, when they're going to do something vulnerable, like have a hard conversation. Feeling anxious is 
just sort of like a, an indicator that you're doing something important. And that's what I tell myself. That's, that's part of how I prepare my own mind and heart for that. The other thing practically that I do is I always create talking points for the conversation. This is actually something that I learned from Brene Brown uh, years ago. She was talking about how whenever she goes into a conversation, she takes a yellow legal pad. I don't know if she still does it, you know, on a, on a legal pad now or if it's on, you know, a device. But she said, you know, she always felt kind of embarrassed about it. But she said, you know, this conversation is too important to just wing it. And so totally. I want to make sure that I say the things that matter that I've really thought through. And I do that for every single hard conversation. Sometimes I don't look at it much when I'm in the conversation because, you know, my heart kind of takes over and I remember what I've, I've written and, you know, I don't really need to go by the notes so much, but I always benefit from thinking it through so that I'm clear on what I want to communicate and what I want, most importantly, the outcome to be. And dad, you talk about this a lot, beginning with the end in mind yes. so that you think about how do I want the person to feel when we're at the end of this hard conversation? You know, what's my vision for that outcome? You know, if I have to talk to one of my direct reports about uh, something that's not going well, you know, how do I want them to feel? Do I want them to feel defeated or empowered, for example? And that really changes how I position what I'm talking about. And, um, you know, again, we get more into this in the hard conversations chapter. Um, but I, I think that it's just it's normal for hard conversations to feel hard. You do develop more confidence the more of them you do because you have positive experiences if you handle them well and you're like, yeah, okay, I got through that one. I can get through this one too. You know, and that's kind of the conversation in your head. Well, and one of the things I've discovered and one of the, having been through dozens and dozens of hard conversations is that the pain of not having the conversation oh. is much greater than the pain of having it. Yeah. I mean, how many times have you had that conversation and you went, that went a lot better than I thought. Right. It would, and right? I avoided it for like a year. Sometimes. Yeah, exactly. I, mean, I can think of specific examples. I won't share them, but you know, like in, in my past where I avoided a hard conversation with somebody on our team that I should have had for a long time. And the truth is when I had that conversation, the relationship, the, the teamwork that we were able to have was so much greater. Like, Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, the truth is I cheated myself and the other person out of the opportunity to grow and to become our best selves. And that's been true when somebody's come to me with something hard, which happens plenty often as well, you know? And I just, I think sometimes we, we back away from those situations because they're uncomfortable because we think that if we're uncomfortable, it must mean that it's dangerous and we shouldn't do it. Yes. And it just means it's uncomfortable. It's, it doesn't mean anything more than that. That's it. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you found Michael and Megan's advice to be helpful, then you should definitely check out Michael's new book, No Fail Communication. At a time when good communication is so vital to your business, identifying common communication breakdowns and learning how to fix them could not be more important. To get your copy, make sure you visit nofailcommunication.com.